Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Lenient Critic Podcast. As always, my name is Rowan Wood. I am the founder of the Lenient Critic. And today we have the biggest episode of the podcast so far, if you are measuring in terms of the amount of people on it. Today, I am joined by not one, not two, but three guests. Uh, I have uh, uh, all of them returning except for one, and that will be Shane Conto, who I have been trying to get on this podcast for a while. But the problem is he does everything on his own show. So I had to, you know, sort of finagle, figure something out. Uh, so Shane, welcome officially to the Lenient Critic Podcast. I'm very honored, Rowan. And you've been on plenty of times on my show, so I'm happy to be on yours. It's true. And uh, returning to the podcast today, we have Alice Ginevra McKelly and Heath Lynch. Welcome back, you guys. Hi. Great to be here. Good day. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, for those of you who have been with the podcast for a little bit, you will recall that Alice was on for uh, my spoiler review of Spider Man No Way Home uh, that ended up being about as long as the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was literally um, I, like probably a couple minutes difference. <laughs> You could, yeah, you could yeah. watch it as a running commentary over the film. Um, I don't. Oh think my god! That's can we be... start doing commentary podcasts, please? <laughs> I don't think that's going to be true for today, but who knows what the future holds? Oh my don't gosh! I don't know if I could handle that. My brain. <laughs> I could. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, of course, today I, we, I've got a minute and a half without saying what we're actually going to be talking about. Uh, we are going to be doing a spoiler review for The Batman, uh, which has been released as of we're, uh, as of recording. Uh, officially today, it has been released widely. Uh, Friday, March 4th, at least where I am, where Alice is, it's March 5th. Crazy how mm -hmm. that works. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we are basically going to – I don't necessarily have a specific format picked out. Uh, you know, I just want to – we're just going to talk about the movie. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about the cast and the story and everything in between. Um, however, so by the time this podcast episode comes out, uh, viewers or listeners, I guess, will have heard my uh, review of The Batman. I talked about it uh, as of this episode coming out. I talked about it last week uh, with – fellow Sif pop writer Ian Whittington. Uh, but uh, so listeners have heard my thoughts. So I will turn it over to you guys. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, start with Alice. Uh, what did you think of the Batman? Just basic thoughts. So basic thoughts. I pretty much can summarize it thusly. Um, it, everything about it was really well made. And actually I should mention going in, I had less than anticipation. You know, I was just there was no part of me that wanted another Batman, not because I don't like it. I love like the Dark Knight trilogy and I, I enjoy any sort of Batman or superhero flick, but I was just kind of like, oh, do we need another Batman? I was definitely one of those people. And, you know, I like Robert Patton. I like everyone involved, but I was like, oh, I'm kind of out Batman right now, you know, but then I was like, whatever, I'll still go see it. And then I found out it was three hours and I was like, oh, they're really testing my, my ability to, but okay, we'll go see it. And yeah, I came out and I, I really like everything about it was really well done. The performances, the way it was made, um, the story, everything was really good. I just still think it probably should have been about 45 minutes shorter. And I think it could have been, I think there's a, like, it's a really good almost. And I would almost say like, it's an excellent film, but I just, I think it was a bit too long, but we can get into that later. But overall, it, that's not to say that I think it's bad. Like, I think it's a solid eight out of 10 still. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I do agree with the uh, with the the length uh, criticism, mm. which I'm sure we will discuss. Uh, Shane, over to you. So I kind of had the opposite going in expectations as 
somebody who grew up a huge Planet of the Apes fan and got completely blown away <laughs> by what Matt Reeves did with um, Dawn and War for the Planet of the Apes. I had huge expectations for this. And I got way more excited for this than any other Batman stuff that Warner Brothers was planning. And going in, I was sitting in that theater and never looked at my watch once. Those three hours blew by for me. And this was an intense, engrossing, and just visceral experience in the theater. And honestly... Sitting there watching this film, this I had a completely different feel than any other Batman movie that I've sat and watched because it's one of those kinds of things where it's like, I had such a fun time. It's like, I don't think this is really the kind of movie you have fun <laughs> sitting and watching, but like, this is an impactful, inspired experience. And Matt Reeves did something special, this cast did something special. And basically on every technical aspect, this did something really special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree on all counts. And now, Mr. Heath Lynch. Yeah, so uh, I am a, a big comic book person. Uh, growing up in high school and college, I worked part-time at a comic book shop. I used to go to school uh, for graphic illustration to try to be a comic book artist. It, like, this is my jam, and... Uh, Batman is my second favorite comic book character ever. My first favorite has been shunned by Hollywood. Uh, so I was eagerly awaiting another Batman film, especially because uh, it's easy to forget that it's been a decade since our last solo Batman film. I know that it doesn't feel that way because we've had the incredibly botched DCEU. Uh, as much as I think Batfleck is a decent Batman, um, the stories and movies he's been a part of have been incredibly flawed uh to a very high degree and uh as much as i love the dark knight trilogy that ended a decade ago uh, dark knight rises was 2012 and it doesn't feel that way because the dark knight has become such a part of our pop culture and heath ledger's performance it just doesn't seem like it's that long ago that but it, it really was so uh, i was looking forward to this uh especially when uh, they said that this is going to be the first true detective story because we've seen the caped crusader and we've seen the dark knight um but we've never seen the world's greatest detective, at least not in a live action form. Uh, we've seen it in the Batman Arkham video game series. We've seen it in Batman, the animated series from the 90s, uh, which is arguably still the definitive version of uh, Batman, depending on who you talk to. Uh, so I was excited for this. Uh, my expectations were the exact opposite of Alice's. I was through the roof like, no, this better be damn good because this <laughs> is literally what I've always wanted. And this turned out to be almost exactly what I've always wanted. I do have a few qualms and we'll get into that, but I absolutely still overall love this picture. Hmm. Uh, I would describe it uh, to go along with that detective motif. This is much more akin to Zodiac or seven than it is to a Batman movie. Um, and I loved that. You might not be on board for that. That's entirely plausible that you are going to want much more kick, butt superhero bravado. And if that's the case, this is not going to be the Batman for you. But if you are interested in something deeper, more psychological, more terrifying in a lot of ways, uh, this will satiate you in a way that you could not possibly have fathomed. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, and with that, uh, we are going to just go directly into spoilers because, uh, you know, it is the spoiler episode. Um, yeah, I think that's a great place to sort of kick this off uh, with the presentation of the character of, of, of Batman here, because as he, he mentioned, uh, this is the first time on the big screen that we're seeing him be the world's greatest detective. And, and you know, a lot of the story of this film hinges on uh, the, the riddles of the villain, the Riddler, uh, and... Um, you know, the, uh, the the mystery and the puzzle uh, that is, you know, we find out more about uh, in this world, at least Thomas and Martha Wayne and what Thomas Wayne was doing and who Martha Wayne, you know, quote unquote, mm. really was. Um, and w- which is something that has never really been done before, uh, at, at least in the big screen adaptations I've seen. Um, you know, usually it's just a flashback. They get shot in an alley and we're done with them. And then now it's just their money that's important. Um, you know, you know, uh, the film, uh, obviously Joker did a little bit with, with, with the characters there, but you know, not, um, this is the first time where I feel like, uh, they are making full use of the Batman mythology and really staying true to, um, to the roots of, you know, what the comic established the character to be, um, way back when he, when he first appeared. Mm. Yeah. And I would say like, to your point, Heath, like, yes, it's definitely more psychologically, psychological, um, and, and more introspective in that way. But I would say there's still plenty of like, you know, ass kicking, (laughs) there's still plenty of action. And when the action is there, most of the time, I would say it was really successful. There were a few choices in how things were filmed. I'm thinking the squirrel suit, for example, where I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how I felt about that particular camera technique. However, um, no, I'd say like all of the the main fight scenes like were actually quite thrilling and they were all filmed differently, which was really interesting to me. Like they all kind of had different focuses. I feel it at the time. I think to the point of the storytelling as to where we were with, you know, with Bruce Wayne and with Batman and with the the Riddler's plan. Um, but there was definitely enough adrenaline present to kind of keep, especially when you are going in on a three hour, you know, film. And again, I would agree that it has, it's very reminiscent of Seven and um, Zodiac, but not like in how Joker was reminiscent of Taxi Driver in that it was yeah. Taxi Driver with a Joker skin on top. This is more so, I would say it's almost just more reminiscent of the Zodiac history than it was the film yeah. you know like it it, it kind of took that idea of the detective story and this you know serial killer that wants to play with you and wants that notoriety but did but did place it in this hyper realized st- superhero world so that just when you started to maybe not get bored but start to become a bit cl- complacent with the investigation element you had a, an intense action or fight scene to kind of keep things going and so that was definitely something I appreciated um and yeah, and, and definitely something I want to mention in that there was definitely some really exciting action scenes that I am looking forward to watching again in detail for sure. Yeah, I would agree. And again, just to run with the comparison we're going with here still, that's just like Seven or even Zodiac the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like in Seven, there's that scene where out of nowhere, they're just at his apartment, they're investigating, and then a guy walks up down the hallway and they're like, mm. wait, is that him? And then all of a sudden, a chase starts out of nowhere and, you know, they're running through the alleys. Brad Pickett's knocked out in the alley in the rain. like, And you have that action beat still in the middle of that detective story. Uh, that's very transferable, I think, to this experience where, yes, you will have those moments where uh, com- Commissioner, or he's not Commissioner yet in this, uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Gordon and uh, Batman are pouring over a crime scene going over evidence, having conversations and 
but then out of nowhere, you know, the, the path takes him to a place where he has to go to a shady club or something. And he's taking on a, a, a squad of goons out of nowhere. And mm. it leads to, and I would even say very visceral, brutal fight scenes. Uh, it, it, another apt comparison I would make to the Batman Arkham video games, if you've ever played them, Batman beats the holy crap out of people in this in this movie like i'm so interested by that illusion you just made to the arkham video games because that's exactly what i was thinking particularly in that final fight against the riddler copies when he's like stringing them up because i haven't played the arkham games but i've played the spider-man games and i know that it's very similar mechanics because my partner was like oh that's literally how it is in the arkham games it's the exact same fighting style so Mm -hmm. and it really reminds me of how you know spider-man and i guess batman like strings up enemies and stuff and I there were so many elements where I was like that's really reminiscent to me of the video game and it feels like it feels like those elements where it's like the video game elements and the detective story elements were finally actually it's like yes he's a superhero but he has these bits too and he doesn't just beat people up he uses the things around them around him to get them out of the way which was really cool I would even go so far as to say if Matt Reeves has not played the Arkham games I would I would be shocked mm. like there's mm. almost no like all even from the very first scene where he's uh beating up the joker-esque thugs yeah. at the uh, the subway station um and he like punches one guy up against the wall and uses like an electric taser i'm like mm. that is straight from the game or like you said hanging people up uh in, in the game you can like hang from a gargoyle and hang people upside down and in this one he happens to hang them from the scoreboard in the madison square garden equivalent arena but like yes these are literally takedown moves from the arkham game yeah. there's there's zero doubt in my mind that he didn't play these games or at least didn't see clips of them like directly inspired when i <clears throat> speaking of like the action sequences i'm trying to think of a car chase in a movie that had me is thrilled <laughs> when that when the batmobile kicked on i'm like you mean what? the max mobile <laughs> i'm like what is gonna go on and because you know in the trailers they show like that shot mm-hmm. and i don't think that even scratches the surface on how intense that scene is i'm like i feel like i'm driving in the most insane traffic right now and <laughs> that oh when that whole entire pileup happens and just the choice of like camera angles and where the camera is just puts you in such uncomfortable positions and that shot is just so amazing when you know penguins flipped over Mm. looking out of that car and you just see batman walking towards him with all those flames i'm just like i remember watching that trailer just being like I, for I, for those would, for those listening, which is all of you, Shane was was agape in in, yeah. in, in evident shock. Like that was because that's the thing. There's what I don't know, like maybe four legitimate, intense, actual action sequences in this movie over the course mm-hmm. of three hours, and they're pretty sparse. But when they happen, it's intense. Huge. Mm. And the they were unrelenting. Like they yes. go for a, a lot longer than your typical action scenes because he actually takes down everyone. It's not like and the brutality oh. of it. Yeah, the brutality of of his takedowns makes it feel so much worse too. Like his <laughs> relentless attitude. Like I will go into this club. I will fucking destroy everyone in my way to get mm. to who I need to. You literally cannot stop me. It's intense. Well, until the penguin is like. Hey, hey, we not. 
Uh, I, I, I wanted to say that, Shane, you're absolutely right. That is the best Batmobile scene we've ever gotten, like period, hands down. Um, but one thing that I, I also found out or found interesting about that scene, when you mentioned the pileup, uh, this movie does something that's very unique where Batman makes mistakes. Mm. It Almost traditionally in all the other Batman movies, he doesn't like he may get quote unquote outsmarted like the Joker may outsmart him temporarily in the Dark Knight, but he doesn't make mistakes. We see mistakes in this, even in that chase, the way he's steering or counter steering mm. the Batmobile and like sliding and hitting things that in any other Batman movie we wouldn't see. And I caught it several times. And I think this spoke to it was really nice that very obviously we don't get the origin story. We don't get the popcorn and pearls in this we don't get the back alleyway thank murder. god we can i just I say know. that we, like yeah <laughs> exactly i i think it's smart like we know like it's just ingrained as part of pop culture we can go 30 years before ever seeing that origin in film again we just don't need it but because they were able to still put these slight mistakes where i even caught a, a time in in one of the melees he whiffed on a punch. He went mm. in to punch someone and the guy dodged it or like he he was having trouble steering the batmobile or uh Alice, you mentioned the squirrel suit thing. Mm. That landing was brutal. I yeah. thought, like, oh my god, is he is he alive? Like that was, I, I audibly like Ugh, cringed up on my seat when that sound effect of him smacking against the bridge. Like this is a Batman who is still in year two. Yeah. So we still get the sense of like we didn't need to waste forty minutes on his origin, but we still get the sense of this guy's still relatively new to the job. He's not perfect. He makes mistakes, and in those mistakes, that elevates his character flaws and his character dynamic and it made it so much more interesting than the perfect batman who just does everything right and they're just no and they all run at him and he's just like yeah (laughs) (laughs) like god some of those scenes like i love christopher nolan but some of those scenes in the dark knight trilogy especially dark knight rises is just like uh what (laughs) and it's just like let's all run at him and he just like swings arm knocks you completely down it's just like no, this is not interesting or engaging at all. Um, I think right off the bat from this movie, uh, like, right? That wasn't on purpose. Um, <laughs> at the beginning of this movie, when you just get this noir set up mm. of that voiceover, and I can't remember seeing at least in a live action Batman movie where they capture the real fear that people have for Batman. And Mm. those sequences where they fake you out of like, you know, a criminal, you see the bat signal and then they see a shadow like a dark alley and they're like, "Uh, maybe I shouldn't do this. And then they like bail because they're like, oh, goodbye. And I loved that. The fact that like whatever he had on his heels like those metal like basically more or less they were spurs yeah was like i was gonna to say it was very cowboy-esque yeah. yeah and him just like slowly walking out of the shadows i'm like i'm scared and i'm sitting in this theater and i'm on his side <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's like yeah. him walking like that first reveal when he walks out of that those shadows i'm just he's like, menacing he's yes terrifying this is batman speaking of terrifying and menacing i have to say one of the most impactful moments of the entire film was in the first 10 minutes for me, which is the, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's the, when the Riddler is revealed, cause we, we start with him 
and you're in the guy's apartment and he's like on the phone and then he walks and the Riddler's right behind him and it was dark like a second. I remember just being, I literally jumped a bit. I was like, oh, oh my, it was like a horror movie. And see, that's how you should do jump scares, Hollywood, where it's not a jump scare, but it made me jump because I was scared. Like, because I was not expecting that. And also because his costume is very obviously reminiscent of the zodiac and just horrifying in general um and so seeing that and then just seeing him go from perfectly still to this very ape-like almost you know murder of the mayor where he's just got this tucker and he's going nuts on his head and screaming and you know it's like wrath overtook him like it was which which showed the chinks because it's like yeah I will say, obviously, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker is legendary, but I wasn't scared of him, you know, in the in the yep. Dark Knight. I was scared of the Riddler because he's so immediately introduced as unhinged. And, you know, I feel like no matter what, if, if you know enough about film and about Batman, you go in probably knowing Batman's going to win and the Riddler's going to lose, right? I'm not that scared. And the mystery isn't a mystery of like, ooh, who's the, who's the Riddler? Like, we know who the Riddler is, but there's still that element of, fear fear and menace behind it and seeing just how unhinged they make him and you you know the way in which the murders escalate especially the second one where you don't get to see it in full because Matt Reeves had to keep it PG-13 but the imagination almost does more for that you know and so it was really like this guy's nothing left to lose yeah yeah pretty much it's like jigsaw and starts like putting people on traps it's like okay okay this is where like I agree with what you're saying, Alice, about like he's on. I would even go so far as to say because Jack Nicholson was a bit campier and Mm. like Heath Ledger kind of works. This is the first person that I think quantifiably we would consider insane in the real world. Yeah. This is that level of mental uh, de-evolution where he's gone. Like this is there's no salvation for this person. He is a broken soul and his actions are clearly uncontrollable and I fear whatever this man would do. Yeah. And you know what you said? It was obviously, yeah, we were talking about reminiscent to seven and Zodiac. I would also, it really gave me sort of allusions to prisoners as well. There were elements of this film that really made me think of prisoners. I mean, there was Paul Dano, but also the way, (laughs) the tone, it was also the tone and the investigative elements that really, really reminded me of it, which again, I'm not mad about because I didn't even live as my favorite director and prisoners is like amazing, but yes. that, that violence about it and the like subtle violence, it was just eerie, like where everything is tense and eerie. And I, I just wanted to be like, Oh, someone just needs to go like do something nice for a sec. So I could kind of recompose myself. <laughs> I need, I need the penguin to say like, Oh, you good cop and you bat shit cop. <laughs> That was so good. But I also love, speaking of mistakes, I love how, yeah, it was the the El, um, El Rata, like, with wings. And then he's like, what, do you not know Spanish? Am I the only intelligent one around here? And then both Kim and Gordon were just like, oh, no. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, that was so good. Yeah, he's he's still year two Batman. He is he is vulnerable in his intelligence and his experience. And I, I thought it was those little things that – if you're picking up on it, it's clearly there, but that it, they're not spelling it in your face. Like I'm still, he, he never says like, I'm still new at this. I still suck. I make mistakes. We are seeing him make mistakes. And that's the perfect example of show. Don't tell. 
Mm. Yeah, I um watching this at a press screening was a very different experience than it probably would have been in like a theater with a bunch of like Batman fans. Mm-hmm. Cuz like I'm sitting there and I'm like I <laughs> This movie is very bleak. Yeah. But there's some surprisingly funny lines in this movie and I can't help it I almost lost it when he's like thumb drive. Yeah. <laughs> just like oh my auditorium my God. Yeah. pretty pretty yeah. hard. Yeah, that was good. There's really good use of humor in this movie mm-hmm. sporadically, but before we go too far from uh, the Riddler, what's more terrifying, the Riddler or when he takes his mask off and it's just Paul Dano? I know. Because, <laughs> oh my God, this is like, this is basically a sh- that combination of like that character he played in Prisoners where he's yeah. like uncomfortably quiet. And then he goes full Eli Sunday from Sunday Mass, being like, "Cow!" and yeah. just like like throwing out the spirits and everything. I'm like, he just loses it. And that scene in Arkham was incredible. That interrogation like, is that was the highlight of the film for me. I loved every second of that. That was incredible. And speaking when, about new people being new, like the villains are also new to it. You know, they're not the established villains. So he was all like, he's like, no, that's not how this was supposed to go. And you can see the upset. Oh, actually. And speaking of the Arkham one, just really quickly going back to the earlier where you, you just see the, again, fear in, in Batman's face when he thinks that Riddler's figured it out. Yeah. And instead he's just being petty and like complaining to his friend. And there's part of, there was a part of me when that happened where I was like, well, it's a good thing that he never speaks, (laughs) like that he takes a really long time to form a sentence. Cause I feel like a lesser person would be like, how did you know that was me? And then Riddler's was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, like even, that was a really that, cool that, twist. That sequence there for like two minutes, three minutes, where you mm. think you think it's the, him saying, "I know yeah. it's you," yeah, and then it turns into not. That is that was brilliant tension. Mm. Like I was mm. like, how, "How did he know?" Like I was ready for the big reveal, and then for like you said, he just saw him as a friend, yeah. and, and like that's the part that that's just like that. That is so brilliant. It's it's literally a lonely man who has no one in the world to talk to, ranting to a friend, realizing that. That's not even his friend. It was just so well-crafted. Yeah. Well, and I think that dialogue on this, in that scene is so great because like, wow, you're not as smart as I thought you were. Mm. And it, Riddler saying that to him is hilarious after he didn't actually realize <laughs> that he's Bruce Wayne. Yep. So like both of them are not as smart as they think they are in terms of everything. And I think that just reinforces the fact that like, you know, sometimes these both the villains and the heroes are out of their depth here. Mm. And that whole sequence is just so fantastic. And that, and even from just like the start of going into like that, where he's just sitting in the cafe and like Batman comes up to the window and he just has like disturbing grin on his face and just such a fantastic, there's fantastic performances through this whole entire movie. Like, Everybody really came. Oh, to play. everyone! Yeah, everyone's doing yeah. well. And Paul Dano, like I, I feel like everybody knows that he's an insanely talented actor. But I'm just waiting for him to actually be like, you know, industry recognized. Yeah, in I was that just form. gonna say, I, I obviously it's early in the year, but like he, 
he has to be on the short list to start the year for best supporting actor. I don't know how you could say he's not. Is I I love Paul Dano. I he definitely needs more recognition. The only disappointment I have with Paul Dano is not his fault. It's the script's fault. Uh, I expect my Paul Dano to get the shit beaten out of him. That's my favorite Paul Dano. I get that in Prisoners. I get that in There Will Be Blood. I get that in 12 Years a Slave. And I didn't get that here. And I am sad. Uh, but other than that, he is he is fantastic in this. Uh, so, in Heath, would you have rather him get beat up like he is in Prisoners or just, like, <laughs> slap the hell? Like, in like embarrassed like slap to hell and there will be blood because that scene is just I got, so i gotta say in the interrogation scene when batman's almost breaking through the window i was like oh my god he's going to kill him yeah. i really thought that that's what's gonna happen mm-hmm. uh, so and like speaking of robert pattinson because like mm-hmm. i know there's still plenty of people out there that just see him as the guy from twilight twilight guy yeah uh, yeah and obviously they haven't seen like all the other films he's done since Twilight. Um, but like he the the Batman and the Bruce Wayne they needed in this film, he knocks out of the park. It's yep. so somber. Mm. And but the thing is it's like you start this movie with one very specific Batman and Bruce Wayne, and you end this movie with a very different Bruce Wayne and Batman and there's an impressive arc from here because there's something dark and sad and intense about him at the beginning of this film where it just feels like he has no connection to anybody except for Alfred and I love that one scene where he's putting the like the lenses in Selena's eyes for like the cameras and you can tell she's liking spending this time with him and she's like flirting low-key flirting with him and he's just like completely oblivious to the whole entire thing because like you think that he's gonna make some kind of comment he's just like they look good and he just like turns away and he's just like yep he's dense um and by the (laughs) end it's like you actually can feel a connection between him he's heroic like, what he does in that scene, especially after, like, he jumps and cuts that line and then he's leading everybody out with that flair. And it's really something to see the arc that he goes on in this film and matures into his role as an actual hero. And because that's what he wanted. He wanted to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And, like, he even questioned that if he was at the beginning of the film, he was insecure about that. And... I think by the end of the film, he does fully realize it's like he is and can make a difference for Gotham. And I thought that was a very hopeful ending to this film, which seemed really odd out of how bleak it was, but it was really earned, I felt like, by the end of the film. To follow up directly on that, I've seen a lot of people slam this for being depressing. And I'm not going to say that this movie does not have its depressing (laughs) moments. It absolutely does. But... I would completely agree that arguably this is the one true Batman movie that ends on hope. Like there is clearly hope. Like it doesn't matter how bleak society gets. We can salvage, we can persevere. We can make the world a better place. Uh, I don't know if we've ever gotten that message before from a Batman movie, let alone in this profound direct of a way. Uh, I, I found it very impactful. 
I mean, Dark Knight Rises ends with him in Florence. That's pretty. Or France. That's pretty. But, but <laughs> that's for him personally. Yeah. What, what, I, what, you are correct, Alice. But that's for the the character of Bruce mm. Wayne. I'm in Florence alone, and I'm just happy that I I can, sh- you know, show my drink to Alfred. But this is <laughs> this is a Batman galvanizing a city to be like no we've got this like you can see the the even the citizens trusting him like you can pull me out of the darkness mm. uh when i'm trapped under this i could i could drown and and just this overall sense of like we will get through this together and i i, I thought it was very strong yeah i was i would also say like in terms of bruce wayne the, what i really noticed at the beginning is you know i think there was probably some question as to robert pattinson because of the previous actors we've had in you know Christian Bale and Ben Affleck like they're very like in recent memory you know they're very sort of superhero types while Robert Pattinson has made this career in indies which I have to say I don't know if any of you um saw at the beginning there was that convenience store and it was called Good Time and Mm -hmm. it's because the reason why Matt Reeves wrote the role was because he saw Robert Pattinson in Good Time and he wrote the role for Robert Pattinson based on that movie. And so when I saw that, I was like, ooh, look at that illusion. (laughs) Um, But the way I've been describing it to, like, my friends when they ask me is that, you know, previously we've seen the superhero playboy billionaire, you know, the, the, if you will, the Tony Stark version. While in this one we get the depressed Tim Burton orphan who has just nothing left and is just like, well, I might as well. And so it's a very different mindset in that he's not even bothering to keep up appearances like we've seen in the past of like attending parties, doing charity. Even I have to say, even the way in which Gotham is designed is ironically enough, very gothic. Like, yes, it's basically New York with a skin over it, but it's a very gothic, again, Tim Burton-esque like look where you know even the bat the the Wayne Manor has these sort of like pyres and and designs and and all of the city is just not dark necessarily but the way in it's designed just looks uninviting but the way in which then the lighting happens towards the end of the film like when he's saying goodbye to Selena and they're on the motorcycle together And it kind of takes us into that next stage, even in the Arkham Asylum, you know, later on when we see Riddler um, talking to obviously Joker, which I'm sure we'll get to in a moment. um, Everything, I feel like the lighting was just turned up, you know, 20% (laughs) after that scene in the, you know, in the essential Madison um, Square Gardens. Um, And so, yeah, there is this kind of like, okay, he, he had the you know vengeance and fear element we he had that he knew how to fight great but now he almost has a actual reason to fight like yeah. it's not just i hate the world i'm going to you know take down all the bad guys with me now it's i need to protect the world from the bad guys that want to bring it down so it's it's, it's, it's transition from yeah. i'm i'm angry and i need yeah. an outlet to i can channel that anger to doing good things and helping people. Yeah. It's almost like he's processed his, like his adolescence in the film, you know, where he's going like, leave me alone, Alfred into just like, okay, no, we must help others, you know, which is nice to see. (laughs) Which Alice is interesting that you brought up Tim Burton too, because Mm -hmm. like the Batman 89 is, feels very much like a noir, like this old Mm. school looking city and everything. And I think that fits really well. Very Dick Tracy. 
Yeah, exactly. And then before uh, Batman Returns, where it turns like full blown like German expressionism, Batman. And but like this feels and what I love about this is because like I recently watched over this past year when the long Halloween came out on like the animated film and like this is good definitely has that feeling of like it sinks its teeth into the mob aspect of things a lot more than i because like obviously the mob aspect of things have been in a lot of these batman movies you know like joker in the 89 batman is a mobster um you have the mobsters in both batman begins and in the dark knight but like i feel like it's such a big part in this film and john Turturro is so great such a great addition to this film and not in the so trailers funny. at all he, mm. I, like if, which, if you had only watched the trailers you would have no idea he was no in this idea movie, he was in which this. is a crime yeah. no pun intended <laughs> <laughs> which the thing is it's like it's so great because like he is an extremely talented actor and i know there's probably some people that just know him from transformers or like <laughs> you know de- don't mess movie. with the zohan yeah and oh. stuff like that and like adam sandler movies mm. but like he like even going back to kind of reminded me of like miller's crossing when he was in like a serious mobster movie with the Coen brothers and like him being this like lead mobster he he just has a way and a presence in this film that's menacing and cool and you can tell that this younger insecure bruce wayne feeds into what he tells him just for Alfred to be like, nah, this is how it really is, kid. Yeah. And that sequence, because this film really does dive deeper into the mob aspect of things. You know, you have um, the Penguin being like an underling of the head of the mob. And it's very interesting how they set that all up at the very end. Because, you know, Penguin's going to be up to some big things moving forward in the, of course batman 2 the quest for more money the um, hbo max verse if you will yeah and apparently he's getting his own show and so's catwoman so oh really making yeah, all kinds of just things. announced him just mm-hmm. all Not kinds real. of things um but i just feel like that aspect of things too was done really really well like it feels like a legit mobster movie yeah mixed with all the and that's the thing this movie does a lot attempts to do a lot and i think it does everything at least from my experience and yeah there's certain parts where it's like some things felt a little convenient you know obligatory cop being like yeah you use that for carpets and it's just like huh and she has she has a lot of cats because she's catwoman and she drinks milk because she's catwoman (laughs) When I saw that, we were like, and then oh, at the end, you know, she has that one cat that she puts in the in the motorbike, and all of us were like, "What happened to her six other cat? Did they all die yeah. in the bus?" <laughs> like someone has favorites. Yeah, I guess they're all dead. But I just, I like, there were very elements that felt very comic booky to me in their convenience, and not necessarily in a bad way. Like it felt like they were almost on purpose. Like there yep. were uh, obviously the the bat cave having bats and the, and the cat like woman apartment having tons of cats and um, you know, the ramp during the, during the chase, the car chasing the very convenient yeah. ramp. <laughs> the very specific moment when 
um, Penguin has his hands and his feet tied yeah, together. Yeah, and he waddles and away. Waddles away oh. after them. It's just like there's like silly little things, and that's the thing. Like this movie knows when to be a little bit silly mm. because it still knows this is Batman. Like this is a guy dressed up as a bat yeah. kind of thing, and like some of the like plot things are a little bit convenient. Like honestly, the main like when I was sitting and watching the movie in the theater, it's just like the only time I really sat there. I'm like, well, that's convenient. Was really when that one cop's like, yeah, you use that to pull up carpets. I'm like, glad this guy was there and his dad or something <laughs> happened to be like. And you know, sometimes you have things like that to move the story along and stuff like that, and it felt a little cheap. But like, honestly, I'm sitting there watching this movie and. Because legitimately, this is two, what two hours and forty five minutes, I think, without the credits. Yeah. Um. Because there's some long credits, especially for not having anything afterwards. Oh, I was so uh, mad. Question mark. Thank you. Yeah. I was. I, so, so I was told by my friend. They're like, no, no, there's an after credit scene. I'm like, okay. So we sit through the credits, and then I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> there's a little tease. This uh-huh. is like the equivalent of Spider-Man: Homecoming being like, patience. And yeah, like Captain Me and my friends laughed. We immediately said that. I was like, "This is Captain America saying." So you stayed to the end. Like, I was yeah, like, "This exactly. is clearly them trolling us." I thought it was funny. I, I, th- I thought it. I sat until the very end because, like, I was at this press screening. I didn't know if they were going to do stuff afterwards or whatever because I'm still new to these things. So I'm like sitting there. I'm like, okay, I knew there wasn't going to be an actual scene after they basically gave us an after the credit scene. Yeah, the after the credit the scene movie. was in the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that whole sequence with um, uh, the guy in the cell. Yeah, Joker, (laughs) the guy with the crazy hair and the scarred smile. I I wonder who he is. The guy who does the weird laugh. Yes, I'm so mad that I saw that um, Barry Uh, Keown. I think. Oh, I love him. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. got cast in this movie last minute, and I'm like. Well, there you go. <laughs> He's so delightfully weird. I, I, as much as I love the Joker, he is the quintessential Batman villain. None of us are stupid. We all know that. And obviously there will come a time when we're going to see this Batman and Matt Reeves take on the Joker. And I am excited to see that. Part of me is like, man, we get the Joker all the time. I would love to see someone else, please. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I love Barry Keegan so much he's so delightfully weird he's so out there and extraordinary with his performances and just even how he like physically holds himself that i'm like if anyone could do it well not jared leto this guy <laughs> and i'm just excited it's uh, a very I young to... joker though too that's yeah. something because i feel like he's younger but i will say when i when time, i was going into I the movie i was like with... i feel like i'll really respect it if they manage to get through the entire movie and actually not have an allusion to the joker and then i was like <laughs> oh almost yeah. almost movie almost like i just feel <laughs> like didn't... we know it's gonna happen you don't yeah. need it to happen we know joker's coming we're not that stupid like but i At do least they also didn't re- hand us a calling card yeah, oh yeah, yeah uh, that would have been. Instead, he was all like, you know, just talking about friendships with the Riddler. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. I was like, oh, that'd be a very unhinged like friendship. Yeah. My goodness, what what would that even be like? You mentioned his age, though. I I do. Yeah, it feels young, but at the same time, I think it works for this world when you have Zoe Kravitz, Robert Pattinson. I don't think Dana. it's bad. Like, it's just I've never seen the Joker as being younger than Batman. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and which would I think it would be a very interesting 
dynamic that we actually haven't seen before. Like, I think that that might be nice. And I think that's part of why this movie works so well is because there's elements that we haven't seen before. Um, And so it makes it fresh, even though we, everybody knows Batman, everybody knows Catwoman and everything around Mm -hmm. it. So seeing a younger Joker could actually be incredibly interesting. Um, But yeah, it's just something where I was just thinking about it. Even the way that is like, again, you very, very, barely see his hair and the scarred smile but the way his hair is felt very like someone's just been running their fingers through their hair in insanity you know not like he's like styling it with some like colored and paint and sort of stuff like he's literally an insane human you know (laughs) like and again like the riddler it feels like they're actually setting up the villains very specifically in that there's these insane ones that are going to be completely unhinged and probably going to be the most uh, performative. And then you have more mobster types like Penguin who will also be part of the story and they're going to be more about power and the actually affecting, you know, the the underbelly of Gotham, which is also very interesting because it's like the way they set up the Riddler, in his way, he was uncovering the truth of the bad in Gotham. He wasn't actually like... It's in his brain, he wasn't being a bad guy up until the end when he just wanted to murder everybody. But up until that point, he wanted to uncover people who had done really bad stuff. While, and, the, and that's how it kind of felt. While then there was the mobsters who were actually the reason why crime and everything was still happening. And so it was a very interesting dynamic where it wasn't just like the Riddler being bad for bad sake. It was like, no, people are being bad and I'm going to, like almost an anti-hero, but a bit too yeah. insane in the murder. So he's yeah. just a villain. <laughs> There's this a couple is... things I wanted to say. I, mm. A lot has been said that I, I'm going to forget some stuff. One, going back to Batman earlier, uh, I think it was Alice that said it uh, about how this one just felt different, especially his transformation. And Shane, you even said that too. The, the Bruce at the beginning is not the Bruce at the end. And I think that's because this movie, at least to me, gets something about Batman that I don't think any of the other Batman movies really get, or at least not get to this degree, which is Bruce Wayne is dead. There, mm. There is no Bruce Wayne. This is just... Batman. He is Batman. Bruce Wayne is a mask. And and even then, he's a reluctant mask. He wears that mask when he absolutely has to. There's even a couple scenes in this movie where Alfred's like, you have to make an appearance. You got to keep up for the family. And he's like, no, I don't. Like, I don't, uh... I don't want to do that. Yeah. Like, he actively fights it. Um, in the original four movies, the, the Burton Schumachers, that is not a thing. Like, he's happy to be Bruce Wayne. He's happy to go on dates. He's happy to be a playboy philanthropist. Uh, in the the Nolan trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy, there's a little bit of him rebelling against that. But even still, like, it, it's not the same because he still has the whole story arc with Rachel where he sees himself wanting to settle down. He, he can find a way out of this. We see that at the end of Rises when he's, like like we mentioned earlier, he's, he's in Florence. He's, you know, cheersing Alfred. Selena's right there with him. This is not that Batman. This this Batman has no aspect of Bruce Wayne left in him. He does not care about life outside of the cowl. He wants to take on the seedy underbelly, and that's all he cares about. Uh, so I, I really liked that portrayal that Pattinson gave this role. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the script, but I could just feel it in his essence that like this is a different type of Batman that we've really ever seen before. He does not have any aspiration to have a quote-unquote normal or quote-unquote healthy lifestyle outside of being the Batman. Yeah, he's um, so uncomfortable at that funeral. Like, yeah. unbelievably uncomfortable. I mean, being it's very people. clear through that whole funeral scene that he's just the Batman. He's He is scoping, scoping out the crowd, trying to find clues. Like, he is at no point just calming down and being like, oh, that sucks that the mayor dies. Like, that literally never crossed his mind once. Um, Alice, you were talking about the city. 
Uh, I think this is the greatest depiction of Gotham we've ever seen in a Batman film. Uh, it is a character. Uh, I said earlier at the beginning of this that this felt like the animated series to me. This is the part that felt like the animated. This is the Gotham from the animated series. Uh, whereas the uh, Schumacher Burton's, that was just New York with a got- Gotham aesthetic to it. Uh, the, or a neon Gotham, if you're specifically <laughs> on the Schumachers. Uh, Nolan's, those, that was just Chicago mm. uh, with a sprinkle of Pittsburgh when we needed the football stadium and rises. Uh, this felt like a, a unique city. At no point, like, yes, you could see influence. Like, there's definitely that one section that looked like Times Square, but they interjected Piccadilly Circus uh, from London. But, like, they kind of made it its own thing. But, like, other than that, there's no part of the city that I thought was identifiable with any other city in real life. And the architecture and just the tone and the feel, this grime ickiness that permeated the whole thing, the, the constant rain. I was just like, this place is disgusting. Like, it's vile. Uh, and I just loved that that feel uh that it had uh i i attribute a lot of that to matt reeves uh shane you spoke earlier about uh dawn i think he just has a great sense of world building dawn of the planet of the apes i think he shows that tremendously even in cloverfield i thought he did a great job of just being like i'm gonna take you to a world and you're gonna feel like you can live in it like at no point did i believe that this wasn't a real place um and those those are just some of the things i I wanted to mention real quick because i think it's important to recognize like how just well crafted the overall environment is of this film and Batman living within that world as just Batman. I don't care about being Bruce Wayne. And that's a lot of what makes this work just so well. And I think specifically, especially compared to a lot of other comic book movies that have a lot of like a lot quote unquote villains in them mm-hmm. is everything felt natural. Yes. And how it came together and threaded together. Because they made it where the Riddler's whole entire plot is to uncover who he perceives are the real bad people of Gotham. And that's why you have to have all these multiple villains. And it isn't something where it's like, well, we got to sell some Venom toys. Let's throw Venom in here in the third act of this movie. Or, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 2 just throwing the green goblin in at the end and just like certain things where it's just like i felt like everyone felt earned in their spot in this film like penguin wasn't a main focus of anything except he was a pawn honestly of batman thinking that he can leverage him to try to figure out what was going on and he finally gets his own moment at the end where he's he stands up to um, yeah or, yeah at the end where it's just like dude being arrested yeah you feel real big don't you <laughs> and then that whole entire thing is just like they all felt somewhere important in there and we haven't really talked about too much besides her cats um of selena kyle i absolutely loved loved her zoe kravitz in this movie and she is able to capture like I was just reading a um article on I think it was What Culture about and I even forgot what the hell the list was, but it was talking about how like Anne Hathaway never really captured like that that energy and that seductiveness that like Michelle Pfeiffer has in like Batman Returns was like there's something about her on that screen that is just like you can't look away. And I feel like Zoe Kravitz captured that kind of feel 
And I bought into the spark that was happening between her Their and Their chemistry Batman. was undeniable, I thought. And the thing is, it's like, and to continue off of your point, Heath, it's like at the end, what does Batman pick? Being Batman and staying yeah. in Gotham. Because he could go chase could after be. her and yeah. go off with her, but like he realized it's like his real purpose is to be there. And like, she'll be back at some yeah. point, but like, She'll be back, but she is so magnetic on screen, and she adds such a wild card nature to aspects of this film that there's a bit of chaos because you know Batman's not chaos; Batman's order, and, and he's that's why there's yeah. An <laughs> I didn't. Hear I love that she said. called him vengeance. That was yeah. funny as hell. <laughs> that was great. She's like. Every time she just like facetiously just like referred to him specifically as vengeance, because like that's the thing he is vengeance at the beginning of the film. He's not vengeance anymore by the end of the film, mm -hmm. and she's just so great in this. She so, there's so much inspired casting in this movie, and who the hell thought that Colin Farrell was going to be the best choice for a Penguin? Uh, Colin Farrell's in not in this movie. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's I like, didn't see a Colin Farrell. I saw like a three lines where like you pick up on like, yeah, sounds like Colin Farrell. And that's it. Everything else is just like, who's this? I, I thought he was like Christian Bale level transformative in this role. I would, I would even go so far as to say, I think this is one of the best performances I've ever seen him in, in his career. Uh, obviously the, the makeup prosthetics have a, a big part in that. I'm not naive to that fact. And kudos to the makeup team uh amazing job but yeah uh he's gone in this in this role he does not feel like colin at all he felt like oswald and i i, I was just blown away i thought he did well it just job. seemed like he was having fun like it just seemed yeah. like he just kind of gave into the ridiculousness of a character called oswald copperpot the penguin you know the <laughs> yeah exactly you know and, and i think that that's but i think that's kind of all of them just kind of gave in to the almost ridiculous aspects of their character that allowed that to be more realistic in the movie. So going back to Selena Kyle, the word that I associate with her when I immediately think of it, the performance is slinky. You know, she's so like, mm. like a cat, you know, she's so slinky, the way she walks, the way she like acts, the way she fights, um, even the way she kind of gestures is, is very kind of smooth. And, and again, like a cat, like she actually has the maneuvers of a cat. And I'm okay. I will say, I don't agree with the article you were reading Shane. Cause I really love Anne Hathaway as Catwoman, but I do also like, I respect this Catwoman as a completely different version, you know, like this yeah. is, this is a cat woman. You know, I get like, not just because the costume kind of alludes to it. Like it, it you know, she's kind of taken on these elements that I think have also come from her, her backstory which can we, can I say, so going, I think heading into the element of this was probably a bit too long for my tastes. There was some story beats where I was like, I could have like, I didn't have a problem with them being in here. I just could have seen that kind of being shaved off to allow a two hours, even a two hour and 20 minute movie rather than, you know, a two hour and 15 minute movie all up rather than a three hour movie all up. Um, so for example, Falcone being the dad thing. Yeah, Falcone being the dad, you know, that whole element. I think it added something for sure, but I think you could have done that in a way that, again, I just think 
you know, Shane, you mentioned you never looked at your watch. I looked at my watch at exactly one hour in <laughs> increments throughout them, just inadvertently were, especially because for that last hour, I was like, oh, we're wrapping up. We're at the end of the movie. I'll just check the time. And then I was like, oh my God, there's another hour left. How is there another hour left? And it was just, and again, nothing that followed it was bad. It was just, there was a lot to take in because of the way that world building works and the way that the story and the character was working that, you know, I, and I'm you know a film person, so I'm much more prevalent and, and much more willing to sit through that. But I was with people who aren't normally like they're not a, as obsessed with film as I am. And they really felt the time where they were just like, oh, my God, I have to be here for another hour. And again, they enjoyed it. They all say it was a really good movie, but it was too long. And I just think that there were maybe some story elements that could have even been pushed to the second film or or been written in a way that didn't take up that extra hour, you know. Uh, I would like to echo that. Uh, I I gave this four and a half stars out of five, and that half star is for exactly this reason. Uh, the way I equivalated it is the movie starts to crescendo, and it keeps rising like the perfect story formula. Mm. We're going up to the climax, and it dips down, and we start to experience a revolution, a resolution. But then it actually starts to build another climax. And this distinctly comes after we've solved the riddles. We figured out it was Falcone. We bring him into the light. The Riddler shoots him. We go through a chase. We capture him in the cafe. And then it starts to chill. And there's a huge lull. And like, yeah, we have the interrogation. And we kind of think that that's going to be the end. We have the interrogation where we have this comeuppance with the Riddler. He's realized he's captured. Uh we, we get that that sense of pride and victory with Batman. And he's going to take a moral lesson out of this. And then the Riddler's like, oh, but wait, <laughs> just you thought this movie was over, did you? I've got 30 more minutes in store for you, sir. And then he's like, I have another riddle. You really aren't that smart. And where I love that scene. I love him, you know, with that kind of wheezy tone. Oh, you really aren't that smart. You know, like, great. But at that point you had to build it back up. He had to go back to the apartment. He had to do the, the carpet thing. And we then had to get the big reveal and we're destroying. And then all of a sudden there's this global warming subplot about how the sea, which cool, uh, but <laughs> like out of nowhere, just, Oh, by the way, Gotham has actually been 15 feet underwater this whole time. And we have seawalls to keep it functioning. And a terrorist is easily going to destroy it. And like, we have this whole extra plot and I completely agree with what Alice said. I was still entertained. I loved it. I had fun with it. I loved him getting into the catwalks uh, above the Madison square garden, taking out all the Riddlers, how he had to like dive into the arena to save each other, save all the citizens from the electrical wiring, uh, escorting everyone out with the flare. It was incredibly heroic. The action was intense. It was a great climax to the film. But at the same time, it felt like we already had a climax to the film. It felt like somewhere we could have trimmed 20, 15 to 20 minutes and tightened this script up and not had that huge lull between we've captured the Riddler to mm. all of a sudden now we have to go do this huge arena set piece. There's something in there that needed it needed to be like boom, boom, like the capture of the Riddler leads directly to the arena like we should have already figured that clue out like he goes to interrogate him to say like we figured out you're doing this where where's where's the trigger or whatever mm. you know what i don't care what you like how do we stop the bomb but been too late while he's interrogating him it detonates and then he has to rush off to the arena because the city's already starting to flood that extra time there 
and more importantly, not even just the time, but just the tone. The, the movie literally takes a tonal drop where you think this is a resolution to the arc and you then have to build up tension again. And it like loses all sense of momentum. And that, oh, it, it irks me. It was still fun. I still liked it, but that could have been handled better. For sure. Um, and yeah, and that, so that's really what it is. And I think it really is about just the viewership of the mass populace, if you will. Because again, like Batman fans, film fans are going to be way more forgiving. And again, yeah, yeah. just I, I, I think we've said this like six or seven times. It was all still really good. But like, imagine what the sequel's going to be. That's what I'm, because yeah. the sequel's always longer because you got to, you know, you got to add in extra bits and there's new characters and rebuilding. And I'm like, is this going to end up being a five hour film when we get to the third movie? Like what is, you know, happening? Or is he going to just keep them all to three? I think for, especially for the first movie where you're setting things up, you need to make it that two, two, two and a half sort of runtime. And, and it's just because you can feel it because again, due to the tone, but not just the, the shift, which is, I do agree. That's a huge element. It is, I mean, bleak in tone and someone's sitting in that for most of the movie and someone sitting yep. in that for so long is a lot, you know, normally, especially nowadays, normally you get that more in a TV show or, or a series where you can take those, you know, hourly breaks, even yep. when you're binging. Um, but having it in a film where you're in a theater for that amount of time and then you're like oh there's still i've still got so much left to go and i'm really... not at home and i can't take <laughs> a restroom break <laughs> exactly there was and actually you know i saw this was some in our slack chat but also in uh, on sif pop but also my friends and i were just talking about it where i almost felt like this could have really done with an intermission you know like i wouldn't be mad if they brought back intermissions to films that were three hours or more um just have that 10 minutes stretch your legs bathroom break okay let's get back into it and that's just because it would allow for i think a bit more like element of forgiveness within just the general public where it's not just adhering to the the fans and the nerds like it's also up to help make others fans and nerds you know welcome them to it rather than them having to be like all right three hour movie three hour dark bleak movie three hour dark bleak batman movie you know and then having to mentally prepare that way but um yeah and, and i just think it'll be really interesting to see you know, with these TV shows now that I've found out that they're happening, but also there's going to be sequels to this, how this kind of proceeds. Um, because if you even look at the Planet of the Apes trilogy, Rise is a very different movie to War. And mm -hmm. it, in the way it was told, also in the tone and in the length of the film. And so I'm kind of curious to see what Matt Reeves wants to do with this. Um, and it also is really interesting to me that when he came, I read something where when he came in to work on this film, he was considering using ba uh, Ben Affleck's original script, but that was much more of a James Bond type Batman. And he was like, this could be fun, but I want to do the detective story. Um, and Thank so you. that's really interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs> Which like this film gives me a lot of Blade Runner 2049 mm. vibes, which Warner Brothers makes some very interesting decisions with a lot of money. Mm. Cause like no, in no way, shape or form was Blade, Run Blade Runner 2049, a film that should have been made for $175 million if they were expecting to make a profit. Mm. Cause that was not mainstream accessible at all. 
And you can tell this was not going for being like, and that's the thing too, because like, I'm not going to go around and tell people, oh yeah, there's a really fun new Batman movie out. No, I'd be lying to them. This is not the kind of thing that you're going to go and have a fun time for three hours. Like this is something that you're going to have to invest a lot of energy and honestly, a lot of emotion in, because this is going to intensify and feel very visceral and not let you go. And I think it has a lot bigger kind of expectation. And, you know, as somebody who's never had any problems with the length of films and stuff like that, and, like, my favorite films are Lord of the Rings. Mm. And I watch all the extended editions, too, even though they don't need all those scenes. <laughs> um, but, like, like, one of my favorite films of all time is Ben-Hur. That mm. movie is three and a half hours plus and like the time never bothered me which fun little anecdote so i had taken off that on thursday and then i got invited to the screening i'm like oh that'll make this easy um i ate something earlier in the day did not agree with me mm-hmm. i was like popping tums before i left my house and then i get to this theater and i'm like I got there like a half an hour early. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom. And I went out and I got back and I'm like, how the hell am I going to sit through three hours of this without having to go to the bathroom? And legitimately, it was a very uncomfortable three hours (laughs) of just being like, I can't miss anything. And also a rat ran by my foot (gasps) at one point at this theater. I hope it wasn't at the police commissioner's section. (laughs) It was. (gasps) It no. legitimately ran by my foot like maybe five minutes. You're like, wow, they're scene. bringing I really realistic elements to the press screening now. Really, bring- I didn't know like I was 4D? doing a 4D experience yeah. <laughs> here. But no, legitimately, I'm not even kidding. It was legitimately five minutes after they go to like the coroner's office hmm. and like see what happened to him. I'm just like, uh, okay. <laughs> so it was a very interesting three hour experience sitting and watching this movie in a theater. But like, and that's the thing. It's like, and I'm not going to disagree with, there definitely felt like some of the air got left out, yeah. let out at that point. And yeah, they did have to, and I was, you know what? That was the one time I checked my watch because I'm like, I knew in my head that was not three hours. Mm. And like, I'm sitting there like, something big's going to happen now. Because this definitely isn't wrapping up. And then I did look and it was legitimately two hours into the movie. I'm like, okay. And then also, then I started thinking of the trailer because let's honestly, the trailer gave away mm-hmm. a lot. Oh, yeah. Like yep. a lot of visuals. Yeah, I was they just going to say, away it gave away of, not, a lot not story related stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like they gave away so many of the beats and a lot of stuff from the end throughout especially. the whole entire mm-hmm. thing. Um, and also one disclaimer, I love Annie Hathaway's, so I did not want to express that I did not love Annie. Mm. And I thought she was great in The Dark Knight Rises. I think the point of the article is like, because, you know, people probably pick their definitive Catwoman. Yeah. I think a lot of people are probably going to pick Michelle Pfeiffer at that mm. point. Pfeiffer's mine. But. I think it Anne Hathaway was a great Catwoman for the Dark Knight trilogy. You know what I mean? Yes. For that tone and yeah. that Batman. While this, like, Zoe Kravitz and, I again, I will mirror your guys' sentiments. 
they did well with the casting just across the board. Even Jeffrey Wright as Gordon, you know, because again, I love Gary Oldman's Gordon, but this is the right Gordon for this. Even the, his slightly gravelly voice, you know, it, it fits the tone so much. Like there's no one in the cast that I would say is a weak link. I think everyone did a great job. And, and speaking of John Turturro, it's so interesting to me because I don't know if any of you know of this new, have you have been watching this new show on Apple TV plus severance? Um, I've been watching it and it's, by the way, really, really good. It's like creepy sci-fi done by Ben Stiller, but he's one of the main characters in it. And he plays someone very different to Falcone. He's kind of like a quirky, like possibly, you know, has this like thing with Christopher Walken sort of character. And he's, he's very like, yeah, quirky and, and silly and kind of like made fun of. And then you see him in this and he's very creepy and very like you can feel the power, you can feel the like mob boss element where he he's calm because he always knows things will work out for him in the end, sort of thing. Um, so it's, I have to say it's kind of nice seeing this like John Turturissance almost now maybe happening. Um, and so it's really interesting the way that this casting has happened, where it just feels like Matt Reeves was like, "These are all the people I've pictured in my head while I wrote the script," and then they all actually decided to come on board. Like, same with Robert Patton, same same with Zoe Kravitz. Like, I remember him saying that he was picturing them in his head. And then they just happened to be like, yeah, I really want to do this. Um, but I guess I I would be curious to know, because there's these, in this big Madison Square Garden, I feel like there were these overly heroic elements, like when he does cut the, the wire and fall into the water. I don't know if any of you had the same thought, but I was like, is he about to die? Like I, because I was like, he's about to get electrocuted. Right. And then he was fine. And I was like, okay, well that was a weird moment. There was a bit that kind of took me out of the movie for a second. Cause I was like, Oh, he's doing this big heroic. Everyone's looking at Self, him. Self-sacrifice type thing. Yeah. It yeah. was a very the, the self-sacrifice. Movie it like a self-sacrifice because for that brief seconds, as he's falling, the, the it's volume and the score drops drops out and it hits a slow-mo beat so it wants to instill that sense of emotion but for like five seconds but like (laughs) yeah but it's there and then it's gone and you also realize as he's falling it's like he's not gonna die from that yeah like unless the water is just not deep enough yet that like he would hit through the water and hit the floor still but i'm pretty sure we've seen that the water's deep enough Mm. he's certainly not gonna get electrocuted i was like you alice i was like what are you trying to do to the audience here this feels (laughs) it feels fake and i i it took me out too because i was thinking about that instead of Mm. oh no batman you know but like i (laughs) it was weird yeah like that and also you know again there were these moments where i feel like they were trying to show oh he's trying to do something above himself but i just maybe might have been a better way to show i don't know what that is but it just because i was a bit like oh that's a bit weird because another one was when he was doing his you know voiceover classic narration beginning of the movie end of the movie sort of narration but um at the end when he's got that woman that he's like carrying and putting into the the thing to go in the helicopter the stretcher and she like grabs him and he's like <laughs> i almost was like him i almost feel like he's gonna be like let go of me <laughs> because she like holds on to him and he's all like it's okay he's very you know prophetic in that way of like it's okay and i feel like the batman we've seen so far would be like okay you're touching me now you can stop touching me now and that's what i was thinking at just like get off me yeah (laughs) yeah exactly so that was also a bit of an interesting moment and there were elements to that climax that felt very end film to me you know so i almost just feel Mm -hmm. like that whole climax 
could have been very maybe in a couple of films and we could have just ended this one at the capture of the of the Riddler and it kind of being inferred that there's another plan for the future sort of thing. Um, and I would have been very happy with that personally. Like I get that the end is important for that hopeful element, but I feel like you could have done that in another way. And this felt very like big swell of action and, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, that was, that. that's another thing I wanted to talk about. I wanted to get into some of the technical elements real quick. Mm. Cause we've spoken mm. a lot about, uh, the the narrative plot the structuring of the characterizations the performances uh but some of the technical elements of this film also sing uh again i easily early front runners and i hope some of it lasts that some of these might be considered through award season because across the board there's some really impressive stuff going on here some of the editing techniques they're doing with some of these shots are spectacular the way that the uh, matt reeve is framing the camera uh is just really well composed uh going into that uh, the cinematography in this movie is stunning now i hope you like the color red you're gonna <laughs> see it a lot uh, maybe a sprinkling of orange but it's it, it's everywhere so yeah you could make that criticism but i've never seen the color red not look as beautiful as it does in this movie and even to your point alice i think you were saying earlier about how this feels like a comic it is kind of weird that this movie that's you could make a solid argument that this is the most grounded and realistic Batman we've ever gotten. Like the Nolan trilogy was known for that. People said that at the time, Oh, this is a gritty realistic Batman. This makes the Nolan verse look like a joke by comparison. Like this is way more realistic and, and down to earth than that. But even still almost in a lot of ways, this feels more like a comic than that. Uh, there are specific moments where you could swear. These are frames from a comic book. Uh, the shot that stuck with me the most, and it's in the trailer damn them for spoiling so many good shots Shane like you were saying in the trailer but when he's walking down the alley and it's only lit up by muzzle flash and he's just beating the crap out of these guys oh, that are just oh, trying oh, to shoot oh, him oh. and all you can see it's almost like a strobe light effect just muzzle flash every once in a while and you're catching him hitting another person that is one of the coolest shots I've seen in a movie in a mm. long time right out um, of War from playing the apes it was Yes, it was, <laughs> uh, which was also Matt Reeves. Weird. Um, but uh, there are just a lot of sequences like that that I was just blown away with just how visually beautiful it looks. Uh, much like a friend of ours likes to say, you could take a picture of it and hang it on your wall and frame it as a painting. Uh <laughs> just very good stuff uh but the thing that stuck with me the most and i have no doubt it stuck with you guys is the soundtrack and score to this mm, film I was, I was gonna say okay yeah. i have it, i have a hill and i'm gonna die on this hill regarding th this this score okay is it just me or is the very 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 beginning of the motif that obviously introduces batman during all of his very batman moments kind of have a bit of a darth vadery feel to it like it goes it almost goes dun 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 and then it goes into a different like kind of motif but it i swear that's all i was thinking and i talked to everyone after the movie and no one agrees with me so if someone agrees with me you just got to listen to it with that in mind but it had a very like darth vader like theme at the very I, beginning of the motif what i would concede is it's definitely a march mm. it's a somber march and you don't and uh, this is coming from someone I actually went to school for for music. Uh, it is a march, uh, but it's more of a funeral march. It's a pr processional, somber march in tone. It does not have the upbeat speed of like a, a Philip Sousa. Mm. Um, so in that sense, yes, it 
it feels like the Imperial March because it is a march. It's very regimented and it's, you know, it's very singular and when it's hitting its notes and it's not giving you much room for leniency. Um, so yes, that is why you're feeling that way. Mm. Uh, the the time signatures and in the, the processional beats that it's going on is similar. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the Imperial March though. No, it changes. But, I will, but the I, beginning, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will. Yeah. I will meet you halfway that yeah. it is a march. Um, but I, what I thought was interesting is that there are a lot of different tracks in this film. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm sure you could go look it up, the score and the soundtrack, or you can sit through the 30-year-long credit sequence, and at the end, when they list off the songs, you will see the songs. But it's really just three. There are three songs mm-hmm. that are all used to varying degrees that paint this really eerie picture that's just... It makes your... It made my, like, the hairs on my arm raise, like, unsettling feeling. One is... uh they use it a couple times. There's a cover of something in the way by Nirvana mm-hmm. that they used throughout the movie. And they used, used it in, in the trailer. In, in the trailer yeah. 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 It's mm-hmm. in the trailer and it's in the movie. I, I counted it at least twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is creepy and indulgent in that creepy tone. Uh, that was very off putting. What's really interesting is the score from Michael Giacchino is a derivative that done 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 that first off i could watch battinson walk up to a villain in slow motion with that pian- those four piano chords just get give me a 15 minute loop of that F- fucking awesome like i'll just watch that um but uh that score that those four piano chords are derivative of something in the way by nirvana so mm. giacchino I, I don't know if Reeves loves that song and he wanted to cover it and he already planned on using it in the movie or Giacchino thought to take that, that from the song. And then he told Reeves about it. And then Reeves was like, yeah, let's get the rights and we'll get do, someone to do a cover. I have no idea how that happened, but either which way, that's why it felt that that song worked so well with that March because they are using the same rhythmic beats. Um, so that was kind of cool that it almost felt like the whole movie was set to that that piano chord that dun 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 it, it was unescapable much like batman is unescapable his form of justice is unescapable um but the counterpoint to both of those songs was the third song and that is the incredibly off-putting ave maria mm-hmm. that was given for dano's the riddler uh did you see that, that at the, the end creepiest... in the in the credits it has him credited? He even as got the credit. Yes, yeah. he got the credit as performing it's like performance one of them. Performance by Paul Dano. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Um, I did see that, Alice. You're right. And uh, whether it's him at the beginning when he, I think they played it when he at the very beginning when mm. he first takes out the mayor, and mm. almost every other sequence where we see him, whether that's a, that's in his social media handles or something in the background, or we flash back to his apartment, um, and then again, especially at the end when he starts very creepily singing it in the middle of Arkham Asylum. Uh, Just something about these three songs working uh, in coordination with each other and then simultaneously in conflict with each other just worked so well for me. And it, especially that Michael Giacchino score, it felt like the most wholly original score I have heard in a long time. Mm -hmm. And between Mm -hmm. now Ratatouille and Star Trek and Up and this, Michael Giacchino is just like a legend in Mm -hmm. my mind. He is an all-star and he is one of the greatest working composers we have right now. And the man, damn it, he needs to be recognized. Someone (laughs) award this man with something. Give him some gold. He's so good. 
after I uh, after I came back from seeing the movie, I wrote my review. Uh, and when I write my reviews, um, I like to listen to the score from the movie, especially if it's good. Uh, yep. And uh, this score, I uh, after I had finished my review, I just I, I just kept going, and I stayed up too late <laughs> listening to this score. And I added about uh, half an hour of songs to my soundtrack uh, playlist, nice. just like especially um, you know. Uh, uh, the first track that's that's the opening scene when the bat signal is, is is going on that's fantastic, but then the soundtrack or, or, or the score album ends with a twelve minute song called Sonata in Darkness that is unlike anything else on like on the soundtrack. It's just um, and I I I just love that. Yes, you know most of these songs at some point use the da 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 da, but then you know Catwoman's theme is completely is completely dissimilar. Mm. Um, you know, like, like, like there is the, um, the, the, there are the motifs, there are the themes, but there is also a lot of, um, it's also very, very unique, uh, in terms of, you know, e- even in itself. So yes, uh, this is, pre- this is my favorite score of the year so far. I don't, you know, it's, 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 it's March, but yeah. we'll see. It's also my favorite yeah. movie, but you know, that's not saying much so far. Yeah. Yep. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you mean? It beat the 355? Come on. <laughs> and yeah, I've seen like, I've seen 130 movies so far this year. Oh but Shane, and... you're a freak. It doesn't count. But in 2022... <laughs> Did you see Alice's face? She didn't believe you. <laughs> it hasn't been 133 yeah. days, Shane. <laughs> I've seen four. Um, like, wait, new movies or just movies in general? New movies. New movies. Do you follow I... Shane's letterbox? It's nuts. <laughs> I've seen like six. <laughs> <laughs> my point is I've this is 19. definitely at the top but that is also still not saying much because like there still hasn't been like a whole lot of like big mm. like impressive films at this point because you know we literally just made it out of trash season yeah right? um yeah. i've seen know, 28 f you it's january mm. <laughs> and then february kind of um but like <laughs> even just looking at march too it's just like I know we were chatting about this, like, it's just Batman. Hey, yeah. hey, no, hey. Out. Oh, wait, no, for Lost you guys, City. you guys. Oh, there's Lost City, but also uh, we get Sonic in March, technically, 31st of March. So. You get Sonic? Oh. Yeah, 31st of March, Damn. we get we get Sonic. I'm and jealous. that's going to be amazing. We all know Sonic 2 is going to be amazing. <laughs> I, what's funny is I'm actually legitimately really excited for that. Oh, me too. Oh, Idris Elba is I, Knuckles. Like, I know we're not talking about Batman right now, but... Anyway, I'll be back for that spoiler. I just, I just like having Jim Carrey back. He's, mm, yeah. Mm. And, you know, using Jim Carrey to get back to the Riddler, I was thinking before what yep. I would love to see. Segway. Yeah, there you go. Um, but, like, the Riddler's always in my mind because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan and, like, a nerd, but I'm not, like, fully in the comics or anything like that. I mean, I know, I know some, but I don't have, like, thousands of them. Um, I'm still young. Um, but there are certain villains that I would love to see uh, kind of adapted in this world and see their take on it. Like one that comes to mind is Poison Ivy. Like how would she, I feel like she's one that everybody knows who Poison Ivy is, but the only, everyone just thinks Uma Thurman, you know, when they think in terms of live action. So I would love to see a, not gritty, but that sort of realistic, like actually villainous. I feel like I can, I can sense that villainy or anti-hero element of her in a film, in a live action you know new live action interpretation of that and so i would love to kind of see 
her come to life because that is such an interesting character. And same with the Riddler. There's that ridiculousness to it, but that could easily be turned into, you know, scariness, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, I, I was going to ask that eventually. Freeze. And I was, mm-hmm. I was, I was going to say what, what's interesting about this world is because it's so grounded in reality, we need characters that are grounded in reality, but we need to also not just have characters that are grounded in reality. We need to have characters that would work for a detective story. Cause mm-hmm. that is the Batman that, that we've established. So like, as much as I would love Mr. Freeze, I don't know how Mr. Freeze works in this world. I just don't think a concept of freeze guns and all that's going to work. But someone like a Poison Ivy, as a, like a bioterrorist, mm. that would be truly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, and again, I mentioned it earlier with like the Joker. Like, yes, we know the Joker's going to come eventually. But I want to see new blood. I want to see either A, kind of like the Riddler or Penguin characters that we've seen live in live action, but it's been... 20 mm. years plus or b i want to see new characters that have never gotten their their shake at a live action i want to see a mad hatter i i think someone you could use that uh his obsession with lewis carroll and the alice in wonderland story and the through the looking glass you could use that to make cool clues and stuff that he could he could use as a detective to try to find edward teach and uh that's you could you wouldn't do it that literally he puts on a hat that possesses people, but you know, maybe some kind of uh, chemical compound that you, you know, a hypnotic or something or hallucinogen uh, or um, what was one of the other ones that I said, I really wanted to see. Um, I want to see hush. I don't know mm-hmm. if anyone knows hush mm-hmm. from the comics. Oh, yeah. uh, hush is actually my favorite Batman villain of all time. Uh, one of Bruce Wayne's friends as he was a kid, I think that would work really well in this story because he has shut off Bruce Wayne as an identity in this universe. So that would force him to reconcile with the fact that he is Bruce Wayne if he has to deal with a villain that knows that he is Bruce Wayne because it was his childhood friend. Uh, or even someone, again, going back to the uh, the cartoon, because uh, clearly we've established by the end of this movie that the Penguin is still around and he is with Maroney, taken out before this movie we are told that he was taken out before this movie and we see falcone taken out during this movie theoretically no one is in the way of penguin to seize up that power vacuum and become the head of the mob well he's now the penguin like he was the penguin but now he's like the actual villain you know element um but another mob villain character that was popular in the animated series was scarface and the ventriloquist dummy Mm -hmm. um I would love to see that. Maybe uh, the ventriloquist and the Scarface dummy challenge the penguin uh, to run the mob or something, or as a rival house or something like that. There's a, there's a lot of great characters out there that I think we could mine that would work for this gritty world that has the mob or that can have detective elements or things of that nature that can toy with Batman's psyche that would still work without us having to be like, how the hell do we get Mr. Freeze to work? Again, I still want a mm-hmm. Mr. Freeze that's not Arnold Schwarzenegger at some point in my life, but I just don't think he <laughs> we killed the dinosaurs. Yeah, the Ice Age. Yeah, and on that, uh, I would, I would actually love to see a proper live action Robin. Like, actually, kind of see how that would work. Yeah. Almost in a way of you know, there's that fascination he has with the Mayor's kid throughout this movie, which is an obvious sort of allusion to the fact that he's an orphan and he's been through what he has and he sees a lot of himself in this little boy. And I think that kind of lends itself to him eventually take, you know, maybe he's been so affected by the fact that the Riddler is a super warped orphan who felt like the world had abandoned him 
that he kind of then goes, well, I guess I have all this money and this power and, you know, this huge house. And he comes across, you know, uh, one of the Robin characters, whether it is, you know, the original or one of the further um, in- incarnations and actually has, and not so much in that old traditional, you know, at like Adam West sidekick way, but more in that like partner grounding back in reality, sort of giving him a reason to connect to on a personal level fully, because even with Alfred, I will say in such a long movie, I do also feel like there's very minimal use of Alfred in this film. He got shorted. Yeah, very. Like it was also. I, I was a bit like, I don't know how I feel about Andy. Like I love Andy Circus. Like absolutely adore him as an actor. He, he now speaking about people who've been ignored by the industry in terms of accolades, but I just feel yeah. But I just feel yeah. He didn't really have very much to do at all even in the traditional Alfred sense and so I would love him to come you know maybe in that way of obviously we didn't see the origin story and in this it's obviously clear that Alfred is the reason that you know he was able to become Batman and learn how to fight and everything um so they I don't know if they've just ignored the whole Ra's al Ghul element or or whatever it is but I would love to kind of see him maybe help train like the Robin and kind of see that badass element of Alfred that we've never really seen except in the the show, but in the movies, you know, we haven't really seen that. We've really only seen the doddering Mike, Michael Caine, you know? And so it'd be cool to kind of see, given that Andy Serkis is younger on much the much younger side in terms of Alfred to actually see them take advantage of that as well and give him a little bit more to do in the future films rather than just being like, you need to go talk to the accountants. Oh, I've solved this code. Now I've been blown up. Like that's pretty much his story arc. (laughs) I felt like they hinted at like where he fits into this equation because he seems to be the one to be able to piece those puzzles together Mm. and do some of that analytical thinking. But like, obviously it was just like, Hey, you didn't see any of this, but I did a thing (laughs) and handed over. But right. that was um, in a lot of this movie. I feel like there was the detective element, obviously, but there was a lot of like, he figured out the clue, but I don't quite under. He just kind of looked at it for a long time and then was like, you know, just, or not justice at the beginning. It's like, he lies still when he figures out the riddle. And I was like, well, I guess he just knew the answer. Good thing he's good at riddles, I guess, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I, I do. I want to say that I liked Circus, but I didn't see enough of Circus to know for sure that I liked Circus. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I do agree. He, I want more Alfred in my future moves. I'm fine with it for how it worked in this one as a one-off, but I wouldn't want this to become a regular thing where Alfred is just basically non-existent. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of, I mean, that's a part of who Batman is, is Alfred. You need that dynamic. Yeah. Um, I knew that, uh, you know, love Andy Serkis as an actor. I knew we weren't getting a lot of him in this movie when all of the shots of him from the trailer are from the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie. And I was like, yeah, he, he's, like, not really going to have much to do here. Um, I, I, I do have a note um, on Heath's point from before uh, about the villains, you know, mm. that, that, that we would like to see. First of all, bring on Calendar Man. Uh, second of all... Uh, <laughs> I uh, so I am the nerd that still watches some of the CW superhero shows, even though they're pretty terrible. Um, but uh, Batwoman, especially recently, which just finished up its third season uh, in uh, a couple days ago, as of recording, um, they have been. I I don't I don't think this is intentional, but it seems that they've been sort of like a testing ground for you know what villains work on screen and what villains don't. Like Heath, you brought up Poison Ivy potentially being sort of an eco terrorist in her next appearance. That is no joke. Exactly what they did 
a couple okay. months ago yep. in, in, in Batwoman. Makes sense. Yeah. And like, <laughs> that's how you'd have to do it. Yeah. Exactly. Did it really work? I don't know. That show has really fallen off the wagon for me. Um, but like, they also did, they did Hush last season as well. And they, oh, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a two and a half episode arc and it was treated terribly. Uh, and so no. if they were to, I know if they were to bring it into uh, the films, I would hope that they would, you know, treat, you know, make it the whole movie, give it the respect that it deserves. Um, I, I also saw that uh, Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson are interested in doing a Court of Owls storyline. Um, I'd be totally down with Court of Owls. I also film, think yeah. that would fit with the whole idea that we've established in this movie that Gotham is a cesspool and mm -hmm. it's unsa unsavable and it's corrupt from the, the bottom up. Uh, doing the Court of Owls, uh, for those unfamiliar with that storyline, that is that the the city itself is run by about you know, six or seven families that have always had the greatest power behind the scenes, and they decide what happens to the city, and uh, they literally convene in a court underneath the city wearing owl masks, and they decide whatever they want, at, even if it destroys the city, they don't care, uh, and Batman has to take them on, and it is one of the better books, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess anyone else have any other, uh, major points that you want to bring up? I did want to go over some of the themes um, that are not as blatant. Like, obviously there's just like, we expressed the idea of hope and, and hope can come from anywhere so long as you don't give up, so long as there, there are good people willing to fight. And there's the more obvious stuff on the surface about political gain, what it means to make a power grab, what it means to, uh, take a bribe and what it means to shun away from a, a bribe uh, and turn your nose against that and, and to stand for something real. Um, but I hinted at it earlier that, that there's a couple other things that this movie is trying to say uh, that's probably just going to wash over most people, but I definitely picked up on them and I thought it was important. Uh, I, like I said, I touched on it earlier, but the, the global warming thing, it's incredibly subtle. You might not even really be paying attention, but this movie is very much like, no, we, we are in trouble as a society if we do not take the steps to deal with this ramification of our own uh, affections that we've put on this planet, uh, we need to invest in infrastructure. We need to do something because if we wait too long, we would have to do something like this movie. And that's incredibly susceptible to terrorist action or any kind of damage that that would be hard to maintain. Uh, I also loved this film's commentary on social media mm. uh, that the Riddler wasn't choosing to do this because he really wanted to make a point. He was choosing to do this because he wanted people to know who he was and he wanted followers and he wanted people to see him when he live stream and he wanted an audience and it tied into just media in general and how like he wanted people to know his name. He was more upset about any, even he was, he wasn't even as upset about losing Batman as a friend as he was when Batman told him, no one's going to know who you are. Like, he, like just hearing him say no, and holding that tone for like 30 seconds. Ugh, so creepy. Um, but like th that kind of commentary on like, we as a society need to be better about how we handle these mass murderers. Uh, when people do public shootings and things of that nature uh, are, um, was it, was it the shooter in New Zealand uh, a year or so ago that like live streamed his shooting um, and posted it to Facebook. We can't allow these miscreants these wretches of society mm. to 
do this and we have to be better than to give them the recognition and the attention that that's what they're seeking clearly we can't show their faces we can't say their names that's only going to encourage more people like this to do more deranged actions um and i really appreciated that they went into that um and there was one more that i had if i can remember it and i'm probably gonna forget now uh we'll just skip me because i can't remember but there was one more that i really liked and now i've forgotten it but uh just there's a lot of nuance to this movie that's under the surface that uh you probably wouldn't think of because you're just focusing on hey it's batman and he's solving a, a murder and he's kicking butt and taking down mafia dudes and this movie has a lot more to say than that and i think that's pretty smart well on the social media that was actually a point that i forgot to bring up but yeah that was really interesting when you're watching his kind of like you know, final message. And the first thing he says is so reminiscent of, you know, thanks so much for following. I almost felt like it should end with, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe, you know, like it was very, it was, it was very reminiscent to that. And I think obviously it is talking about it in the more violent factors of our society. But I also just think in general into the, the, you know, absolute blatant nature of how we literally document everything nowadays. And, and almost, you know, in this case, he he was being quite notorious and literally posting about it online. And going back to Batman making mistakes, I almost feel like if he'd done a little bit more investigation, he could have come a- come across this on the dark web ahead of time, and a lot of things mm-hmm. could have been dealt with earlier. But um, I think it's just more so the idea that human suffering is being public, not just human suffering, human experience is being publicized on a level that distances us beyond that. So, you know, these followers, these 500 followers of his, some of which ended up literally going through with murdering people and had to be stopped was because they were seeing it in this distant way of, well, who cares anymore? We might as well, because, I don't like there's nothing else which brings them feeling and it's because there's this exposure to literally everything nowadays that you know this is obviously the extreme version of in order to feel something and to experience something real you have to do something drastic and in this case it's horrible murder but it even is like the idea of having to publicize your life and your thoughts and your feelings to the masses in order to, and I mean, we're, we're saying this as people who are speaking on a podcast, publishing our thoughts and our feelings and experiences on a movie, but it's just people consume things digitally now. And, you know, on this term of notoriety and it's almost creating this distance where, you know, at the end, it's almost like because this tragedy well, the, the seawalls f- well went down and this tragedy happened and everyone had to just literally stick together physically. That's when the hope started to rebuild, you know, um, you know, Batman could keep himself distanced before he literally saw, he literally saw the world through a screen in his contacts and he had to re-experience it in video format to actually take it in. Like, that's so interesting to me. It's like he couldn't, mm-hmm. when he was actually experiencing it, he didn't remember it and didn't care about it unless he had to experience it in the second format on a video screen. And I think that is a commentary to us and our world and how we've developed and how obviously, again, this is the drastic version, but if we're not careful, 
these things will grow beyond. And it used to be, you know, it used to happen in, in spurts, like with the original Zodiac killer, where it was like, oh, this was a huge thing. Oh my goodness. We got to find him notoriety. But that was like one guy back then. That was the one thing of like the sixties and the, you know, the seventies while now, yeah, like you said, there's, you know, shoot, they can just live stream. Violence can just be shown or, or even just like humiliation or, or experience. And so it's not as new anymore. And so, yeah, that's just an extra. Yeah. Definitely. And you yeah. actually reminded me of what I forgot. Mm. Uh, and it was the idea of someone using that social media to twist a message. Mm. And I think we alluded to it earlier of like, in a lot of ways, what he's doing in the beginning Again, it's still wrong to murder people. I mean, yeah. be clear, murder bad, but like, uh, like the idea of rooting out corruption mm-hmm. and pointing out that this mayor was corrupt, this DA was corrupt, this police commissioner was corrupt. We need to fix this city. Uh, that's obviously a good message. That is the right message. But using that and manipulating that message through a lens of social media to execute a position that brings harm and sullies that message uh breeds misinformation and we see that in the real world today a lot unfortunately and i think it's very clear that the movie has a stance against that as well of what does it mean when the right message is is taken and then manipulated to be shown in the wrong light and how that galvanizes people to take action on things that are actually counter to their interests or the interests of humanity as a whole and how that's negatively impacting society. Uh, I thought that was very powerful. Mm. Uh, And then the last one that I also did remember was, and they briefly touch on it in the dark Knight rises, uh, which was filmed if for those who remember uh, very quickly after the uh, protests in um, wall street, uh, the, the 99, what was those? Ah, I forget what the protests were. It was like in 2010, 2011, uh, where people were like sleeping on Wall Street. Yeah. If you remember, if you were alive, you might remember. But it was a, it was a, an economic class protest about uh, how the 99% didn't have as much money as the 1% wealthy people. And so like they touched on it in The Dark Knight Rises, but it's even more emphasized than this and the idea of the wealthy versus the middle class and the lower class and what that wealth disparagement means. Uh, you see it in that funeral where Bruce Wayne is inadvertently talking to this guy who's just ripping on wealthy people. And then he turns to realize that it's Bruce Wayne that he's talking to. And uh, there's the whole concept throughout the movie about also, what does it mean to have generational wealth and generational power and what that means when it passes on, there's this motif of the sins of the father Mm. are then imbued upon the, upon the son and it's the son's responsibility. And it's really, directly it's talking about the idea of thomas wayne and bruce wayne but the movie is really taking it on a greater scale of what does it mean when our past generations have failed us in in some ways small in some ways large and what do we do as the next generation to take on these responsibilities of the world and lead us to a better place so that we don't make the mistakes that our fathers made Uh, i i thought that was very interesting as well so again just there's a lot of nuanced theme work that this movie has underneath the surface for anyone who wants to take the time to look at it that for a generic generic quote superhero movie would you wouldn't expect this kind of depth yeah, I, I would, and I would even oh yep, go on, Shay. I was just gonna say because you Heath, you brought up the like that those two guys that he interacts with briefly at the funeral. Mm-hmm. 
are those two of Riddler's followers? I yes, think the so vengeance the one, guy is yeah. the one he's speaking to. The one that is ranting about the rich people and eventually turns and sees that it's Bruce and walks away and like glares at Bruce as he's walking away, that is the last guy that he unmasks on the catwalk at the very yep. end of the movie. Yeah, then, then they're like, him. who are you? And he's like, vengeance. And then you can see Batman yeah. be like, oh... Well, yeah, that, yeah, that's not a good thing that I've been saying. That. Yeah, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's this whole conceit of of what does it mean when the the downtrodden are pushed to a breaking point, led by misinformation and social media campaigns. Like all these themes tie together of of how dangerous it is. Mm. Dangerous it is. Like the we're at a boiling point where if we don't quell some of these concerns in society it can lead to destructive behavior and people's lives can be ruined. Mm. And this movie has a very smart, tactile way of approaching that that uh, you would not expect from, or at least I sure as hell didn't expect going into this from a comic book movie of this nature. And I think also just like going even bigger in the theme, it's, and this one's more obvious, but it is going back to that core idea of a, the difference between vengeance and justice and that there is a difference yep. where Batman begins as vengeance and where he ends in this movie is justice, but also the difference between, <laughs> to use one of my favorite Harry Potter quotes, the difference between doing <laughs> what is right and what is easy, you know, that yeah. the right way of doing things is always, or not always, but in movie terms and in general sort of life terms, it's always going to be the hardest or the most difficult path, whether it's because of the emotional impact, like with Catwoman and, and Falcone and her just wanting to like end it and kill him or him. And then instead having him actually, you know, speak for his crimes um, and not her not descending into being a murderer yet. Cause I'm, I'm sure that's going to happen eventually. Um, <laughs> but then also, you know, on a wider scale of it's, Gotham has descended and been corrupt and so pervaded. It's not going to be easy. You know, it's not that, oh, we've now taken care of the four main people. Well, you know, everyone in the police is good now. Everyone in Gotham's good now. It's probably, it's going to take time. And I mean, again, the Dark Knight trilogy kind of touched on that a little bit, but this really shows again, and kind of reflects that back onto real society where it's like, we've gotten to this point where it almost feels like everything happening right now is in this weird twisted form and we need to just slowly shave at it until we can get back to actually doing things because it's better for people because at the end of the day, revenge and vengeance is not justice. Just like doing what is right is not the same as doing the wrong thing for the right reason. And so, you know, kind of having to reshift the brain and, and reshift back to this idea of truth and justice and, and all that sort of that stuff that has been, you know, made fun of and explored in, in movies in for years, but bringing it back to, okay, but look what happens when you just look at it from the easy vengeance, revenge sort of field way. It, it will end worse. You know, things are going to get worse. While if you go after it with the good intentions and with the idea of actually helping people, sure, things, bad things will still happen, but they'll slowly start to heal. And I think that, again, that's kind of reflecting back on the world as a whole now where I don't know about you guys, but sometimes you're just looking at the news. I mean, especially right now, you know, looking at the news and the way the world's going, you're just kind of like, what's the point anymore? You know, there's a part of you that's like, we've gone too far, just hit the reset button. But then it's like, no, that would be bad because everyone would die. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I think that's also an, a very important element to the movie. 
Just to get deep on you all, but it was a good Batman movie. <laughs> I feel like bringing yep. it back. It was a good superhero movie as well. You know, all the themes well, aside and, and everything. <laughs> one one point that you brought up, Heath, was talking about the like putting that spotlight on these like mass shooters and stuff like that. Within the past couple of weeks, I've watched two feature films that are centered on like the Unabomber. And also one that's coming out, um, Night Tram, which is about a mass shooter in Australia. And it's just like, we're making movies about these people. And obviously- I don't like it. It's not supposed to be glorifying them. It's supposed to be like, look at this horrible thing and how this all happened, but it's still putting a spotlight on it. Yep. That's still giving them, like, the person that's going to go through that kind of course of action- is not looking for positive reception mm. or negative reception. They're just looking for reception. They don't care mm. what you say. All news is good news in their eyes. And I, I obviously, no one's going to listen to little me. I understand that. I'm just a spoke in the wheel. The wheel's going to keep turning. I'm not ignorant. I know how this works. They're going to keep making these movies and shows. They're going to keep churning out these uh, news reports on 24-hour news cycles. True I just crime. think I think this movie has a very clear stance, and I very much agree with that stance that we should not give these people the time of day because that is exactly what they want. And not saying that there aren't deranged people out there that wouldn't still do stuff like this because, unfortunately, there there are. But I do think if we actively as society try to cut these people out and not give them any form of a spotlight, I think it could at least decrease the number and mm. it doesn't hurt to try. <laughs> or at least if we have to yeah. do something like mass, yeah. you know, just like the effects, not, not, you yeah. know, you don't need to know anything about it. We all get what happens when a, like a mass shooting happens. We all know what happens. We all generally understand the lead up to it. You know, we've all in and understand in the way of like, okay, yeah, this, you know, this followed A happened, then B happened, and then ultimately C. But then the after effects of not just the people who lost someone or the people who died, but also the people who had to, from the other side, be connected to these people that did horrible things and be like, mm-hmm. you've just screwed up everyone. Like nothing, nothing is better off. And I think it's that, you know, going on to another equally difficult topic of the idea of suicide, where it's like, you know, there's the difficulty in portraying that where it's like, it's not, you know, you may think that the world will be a better place, but at the end of the day, it's just going to be more warped afterwards. And obviously it's because none of these people doing this are in their right mind. Obviously we all know this, Mm -hmm. but you also don't need to focus on the people. If you really need to focus on the topic, there's something to be said about focusing on the after effects and kind of making that the topic of conversation and, and the effects. And having said that, you know, this movie is saying all this while still portraying all the actions and the murder and the intrigue and the crime that will ultimately interest us because that's how the human brain works. But doing it in such a hyper-realistic way makes it a little bit more like, well, this is ridiculous because it's a guy, you know, called the Riddler fighting a guy dressed up like a bat. And so Mm -hmm. there's that distance to it. Um, And again, having said all of that, last time something like this happened, the, you know, Dark Knight came out and there was, you know, the guy who killed a bunch of people dressed up as the Joker. So the world's twisted and we don't need to help make it more twisted. I I will say to to echo what you said for anyone that cares and wants a healthy version, I say healthy, not that it would be an easy watch, but a healthier watch on this topic. 
uh, in the last six months, two powerful movies have come out. One is called Mass, and the other one, more recently, is called The Fallout. Mm-hmm. I would highly recommend watching Mass and The Fallout. These are two very powerful movies that deal with school shootings in a very different light, and in my opinion, a much more important light, and uh, you will get a lot more out of it than watching a, a new special or another movie where it just shows the killer. We should have done this video and did that recommendation before they voted on the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, don't the, do the Batman, the Fallout, and Mass as a triple feature. Cause... Oh my god, that sounds terrible. <laughs> you know, maybe watch one, give it a week. Watch another one. You know? <laughs> like that—that's the thing, you know. I'll do, and then again, it's like it's so interesting that a movie like this can spark these sort of conversations because at the end of the day, most people going in are going to be like, "Cool, new Batman superhero film." Yep. So, just yeah, it's just, and that's what I was trying to illustrate is that like these are conversations I did not expect to have. These are thoughts that I did not think would come into my mind when going into this movie, but coming out of this movie, these are a lot of the thoughts and conversations I'm having, and I think that's says a lot about the quality of this movie that a movie about Batman can give us something this deep. Mm-hmm. And I think that's powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm really wondering, cause like, obviously for the vast majority of them, the actual reviews for like the critics have been very positive. Like even looking on letterboxd, it's like all four and a half and fives that I've seen. I wonder if this is going to, well, presently, the audience ratings a 92%. I was wondering if like this was going to be like people were going to have different kind of expectations on what a Batman movie was going to be and come in and maybe not enjoy this as much. But at least early ones, they seem to be happy. Um, and one thing I know that we were talking about earlier in terms of like the villains and stuff like that and what to expect in the future, I don't know if Warner Brothers is going to really let them do some more obscure kinds of villains and stuff like that because like you know this movie literally had the penguin catwoman and the riddler in it and especially if you're going to be making like three hour much darker kind of batman movies they're probably going to be like we need to give them something it's like i agree and i disagree i agree like yeah you want something that's marketable but at the same time we're entering a unique era in blockbuster films where it seems on the surface that studios are doing less and less interference they're trusting the directors more and more to make their own unique versions of a story. That's not across the board in Universal. There are exceptions. There always Especially are. Especially not at Warner Brothers. But uh, I just feel like, at least in my eyes, there's no way this movie doesn't make $100 million at the domestic this week, opening weekend, um, if not even $120. Uh, globally, this, this movie's going to cross 300 million in the blink of an eye and before you know it 500 million and it's going to keep going and i feel warner brothers is going to give matt reeves some levity well they've already done it with james gunn like to your earlier point shane about like you know super obscure villains and characters that's literally what james gunn did in in suicide in the suicide squad it well yeah but that was partly because of you know covid and, and all that sort of stuff but then look at peacemaker Right now, you know, arguably one of the best te- television shows out John right now. Cena. And, you know, James Gunn was given complete carte blanche on it. And he's also been signed on for season two with another complete carte blanche. And I know for a fact that the Suicide Squad, wa- squad while initially sure at the box office might have crashed and burned for other factors, 
it's become it's very popular everyone i've spoken to loves the like that i know has loved the film everyone's watched it multiple times since and it's a film you can revisit so i think it's only going to unlike its previous which had a high and then super dipped it will just i think it's going to end up only rising into you know going even better and i wouldn't say that the 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 obscure villains is the reason it it like didn't do as well the box office like i said i think it was other external factors but what it did is it introduced us to these new villains and these new characters that we could then go in with much less ideas and and preconceived notions so they could build them out to be whatever it is they wanted to be you know and it kind of allowed that freedom of imagination again and you know marvel has done that and has continued to do that where they're like, oh, let's bring this guy in. And it's like, no one knows who, I mean, they literally did that with Iron Man, you know, and, and the original Avengers where it's like, people didn't really well, I, know him. And then now they're the multi-billion dollar properties that they are. Because well, and trust. I think now it's just like, people are just going to see anything that Marvel puts yeah. out yeah. at this point, because it's Marvel, it's the MCU. Yeah. So they have just a built-in perpetuation. It's going to be interesting when we're back to, blockbusters every week Mm. because like the point is like batman doesn't have any competition like at all until quote-unquote competition with morbius (laughs) coming out at the beginning of april which i that's not competition i well and that's the thing it's the next big budget biggest budgeted movie coming out um but like you know spider-man was able to absolutely destroy because no, we didn't have anything to have people that excited. And also that was like a once in a generational kind of thing where all of those like whipping three franchises into one and getting people who've been watching Spider-Man films for the past 20 years to all come in and see that movie. But until multiverse of madness where it's like, Oh, that worked times a million. <laughs> exactly. Well, honestly, like I just said, I think Marvel could put out anything yeah. and people are going to go lining up and see it. It's going to be interesting when, you know, that backlog of all those films really starts hitting and like we get back to that thing where it's like you have a blockbuster sized movie every single week from March until September mm. and see how these movies do. And I think it'll be interesting because that's how it was getting pre-COVID was like there were some that were really soaring and some of them crashing and burning really badly. Mm. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. But, you know, I think if you could do it with any character, it's Batman. Because, like, let's be real here. I'm pretty sure everybody is going to go see Batman movies because they have for decades at this point. But we'll see. Here's here's a question to end on a more lighthearted note. we don't have to go over every single Batman movie, but where does this where does this rank for you compared to other Batman movies? Have you guys thought about um, it at all? I'll start just because I asked the question and give you more time to think. Uh, I have this as the second best live action Batman movie. I still have this behind The Dark Knight. I think uh, it The Dark Knight is still more or less a perfect movie and is uh, more singular in its focus uh, on what it's trying to achieve. And uh, the performance of Heath Ledger is just so kinetic and uh, draws you in so much that it, it still holds true to me as the number one. But I, I, I obviously recency bias is a thing, but like I, I already do see this as the second best live action Batman movie. Uh, after that, I have things like uh, Batman Begins and then Batman Returns and Batman 89 and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. 
for me presently, I think this might be my number one. When I left that theater, I'm like, this hit me in a whole different kind of level than I ever felt sitting in a theater watching a Batman movie. And obviously sitting at home because I've definitely seen more Batman movies at home than I have actually in a theater. But like, pre- like obviously, I've been sitting on this for a week. And I'll be sitting on this for longer. But right now, it's like if you were to ask me if I would want to sit down and watch any of these again and have that kind of experience, it's probably this one. Mm. Mm. Uh, I Okay, so preface. I feel like I'm one of the few that just genuinely like Dark Knight Rises. It's not my favorite. I will say that. Don't worry. It's not, I'm not about to be that's the greatest Batman movie of all time. Um, but having said that, I would say I'm pretty much, I would say similar to Heath, if not the same, where... I don't think Dark Knight has been eclipsed. I think that that's better, but I would say that this is a second. Like if I'm thinking about, okay, I'm going to watch three Batman films today. I'm probably going to watch Dark Knight first. In fact, after I walked out of the movie, I was like, I really feel like going home and watching that Dark Knight, even though it was midnight and I definitely needed to go to bed. But then after that, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but after that, yeah, I would say that this is definitely the second Batman film that I would all I would go to for sure at at the present moment give me a month and I'll come back to you <laughs> yeah yeah um so I've only seen full disclosure I've only seen Nolan's Batman movies once um I know I gotta go back especially to the the Dark Knight I think I would still put the Dark Knight over the Batman um if only because you know as 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 Heath was saying it's it's just it's 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 as close to perfection as I think you can get with a superhero movie. Um, it yep. does basically everything right. Um, but if we're talking about the the level of enjoyment from a Batman movie, Lego Batman movie all the way. No qualms, <laughs> completely and totally serious. I love that movie so much. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Will Arnett, best Batman. Speaking of the voice, I will say, I also do like that Robert Pattinson didn't put on a Batman voice. Like he was just... Yeah. maybe maybe it was like what half a tone like deeper but it wasn't it wasn't a you know where's rachel you know like where's the trigger yeah where's the trigger? you know it's like oh that he just instead we see him beautifully meticulously apply some eye makeup and i have to say i want to know what product he uses to take that off at the end of every day because <laughs> it is immaculate so yeah like that and like I actually do appreciate that. I mean, the eye makeup thing—it just, especially when he has his cowl off. I'm like, you just look like a singer from My Chemical Romance. But <laughs> hey, he's not okay. He promises. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but I do like that he didn't put on a voice, and I, I think that again brings you back to reality all the way through to the fact that he's pretty much wearing Doc Martens as the shoes. Like I've never been, I've never been so focused on Batman's shoes before, but I was like, Oh yeah, he would wear shoes. And I guess he would wear these sort of combat boots. That makes sense. Yeah. For they're just rubber boots. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You'd think steel caps, like hard combat boots. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Cause you need to run and also kick people really hard with them. <laughs> it's true. Well, 
that was the Batman. If you were watching this for for commentary, I'm sorry. You still have about 45 <laughs> minutes left to go. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly one of the most unique superhero movies I've seen, at least recently. Uh, and I think part of that is due to the fact that it's not really a superhero movie. It is a hero movie. It's a comic book movie. Not necessarily, you know, there are, there's no, you know, superhuman abilities to speak of here. You know, everything is very grounded in reality. Uh, and I think that served it very, very well. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, guys, I want to thank you so, so much for joining me for this episode. This was an excellent discussion. Um, thank you for having us. Of course. Yeah. Anytime. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a chance to, uh, basically, uh, plug anything you might want to plug. Uh, Heath, we will start with you. Uh, first, I'm sorry for talking so much. I talk too much about things that I love, but sir, I do love Sir, movies. this is a and podcast. If hear, <laughs> yeah. And I, and if, uh, if you do want to hear more of my thoughts on movies, uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, at the one Heath bar or search Heath Lynch. Either one will find me. I watch about 10 to 15 movies every week on there. I write a review for every single thing I write anywhere between 200 to 2000 words. I churned out well over 2000 for the Batman. So apologies, but again, not sorry. Um, And uh, if that sounds like it's something you're interested in, uh, I'd love for you to follow me there. Excellent. And Shane, sir, this is Wendy's. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's see. Um, obviously my biggest thing is I have my YouTube channel, the wasteland reviewer, and I have multiple shows on there, which all these lovely people have made appearances on a variety of them and they will be there on again. Um, and I staff writer at Sif pop. I write for scribe magazine, scare magazine and moviehole.net. And you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, letterbox and i have a tiktok now because why the hell not (laughs) and uh finally alice yeah well you can find me on instagram and letterboxd at ali g mick a-l-i-g-m-i-c-h and yeah i have i think is it three reviews that i or three articles coming out uh in march for sif pop so i got my monthly one-stop pop um i wonder what was what was the biggest film of february actually that is a good question because i was like oh it'll be batman and i realized that that's march so <laughs> you know stay tuned for that one um but Moonfall we all fall all the way oh gosh maybe it'll be a tv uh, maybe it'll be a tv show don't then. mention that title <laughs> it's it so bad it, it might be a tv show then i do that now and then if i'm like no i'm not doing a one-stop pop on that movie um but stay tuned stay tuned for that and obviously we all know what marches will be um and then i yeah you know two other reviews including uh resident alien and and others um and you can also find me on you know podcasts here and there so you know looking forward to being on future ones with lenient critic and also with sif pop writers room you know shane and i are going to do the oscars retrospective soon so you know if you just and um, Mm -hmm. i was looking over the all the nominees from 2020 now and i'm just like and now i'm like even more like damn and you suck. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm like, I feel like Ugh. most of this episode is, or not most, but a good hour is just going to be me ranting about the ceremony. So get ready for that. <laughs> I'm ready. Oh my I God. What was, what was worse the year in film or that? The, the ceremony. It was, it was the most fun watching experience because I yelled at the screen so much. Let me just say that. But where are the clips? Yeah. Oh, where, oh yeah. I don't need to see Francis, I don't need to see um, Glenn Close twerking. I didn't need to see that in my life. That's oh, yeah. that's okay. But... I mean, speak for yourself, Alice. 
<laughs> but um, but yeah, like I said, find me on Sifpop, find me on Instagram and Letterboxd, and find me on podcasts, you, or, or on you know, um, guessing on on Shane's YouTube channel. Excellent, uh, and of course, please keep going to thelenientcritic.com. Uh, I have you know been get trying to get my foot in the door with some companies uh, with Shane's help and some other friends. I've been getting some screeners, which has been excellent. Been able to uh, you know get see some stuff early, do some early reviews. So I'm quite Apparently excited about people. those. Yes, exactly. He has a very particular set of skills. Uh, so if you guys could uh, check out my website, that would be wonderful. Please subscribe to The Lenient Critic. New episodes every week uh, with these lovely people and so much more. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I'll be back next week. I don't even know what next week is going to be. I have not planned that far in advance. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> oh, wait, no. It's the no, nice guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's talk to nice guys. Special nice guys episode. Um, yeah, uh, next week definitely doing that on my channel. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been agreed. Right, right, right. <laughs> that 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 was where it uh, that was where it originated. Uh, for those wondering, go to um, Shane's uh, episode, which I'm sure has been published by the time this episode goes up about uh, movie and film. Yeah, we uh, still talked for two hours about movie release schedules yes, and models. So, <laughs> as only nerds can do. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, next week is going to be turning red, the Adam project and some other fun fed, uh, I almost said February movies. It's March. Thank God. Bye. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so once again, I want to thank you all for listening. I'll be back next week, uh, for Heath Lynch, Shane Conto, Alice Jennifer McKelly and myself. I will be back. I'll be back. We will be back <laughs> on this podcast very soon. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>